we're here in the prologue and we are learning about the book of Revelation and what it says about God. What we have seen in recent studies is that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. It's not the revelation of John. It's not the revelation of Saint John. It's not. It's not. The, it's, it's the revelation, the unveiling of a single unveiling, the revelation singular of the Lord Jesus Christ. And where we have um, been in our studies is in chapter one. We learned that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bond servants the things. Not that might take place or the things that God is hoping would take place, but he's to uh, to show his bond service to things which must take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant, John. So the revelation of Jesus Christ came from God, sent by an angel to John, who testified to the word of God, as we've seen in past studies, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And we saw that there's a blessing involved in reading and hearing and heeding the truths uh, of the word of God. Last time in our study, we were in verse 4, and really verse 4 and 5 is where we're going to contain our thoughts today. So let's read verse 4 and let's read verse 5, and I'll show you particularly where we're going to spend our time today. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, and these were actual, literal, local churches, and we'll be um, learning more about those churches uh, in the upcoming weeks, uh, particularly as we get to chapters 2 and chapter 3. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And that was God the Father. Um, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. That's the Holy Spirit of God referring to the sevenfold ministry of the Spirit. And we've un, uh, looked at that a little bit uh, as well. Um, and also verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. And this gives us a threefold description of Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, also in Psalm 89, in the Messianic Psalm, the Psalm referring to the Messiah, that He is the witness who is faithful and true. And you think about what does it take to be a faithful witness? Well, to be a witness means that you have to be there and be ready to, to give witness, right? To give witness. And to be faithful means that you show up on time where you need to be in order to be able to give that witness, to say the right thing at the wrong time is just as uh, uh, unimportant as if you don't show up and say anything at all. So Jesus is the faithful witness. He's faithful and true. We also learned last week that He is the firstborn of the dead. Now, that doesn't mean that He's the first person to be raised from the dead. What that means is the word first, firstborn is a title that was bestowed upon Him. That means that all the rights and privileges of the firstborn are bestowed uh, upon Him. And we also learned that He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
And um, those would be all the kings in, from the very beginning. He was declared this before the foundation of the world, uh, according to Psalm 89 and other places in the Bible. So he is the king of kings, if you will, and the Lord of lords. So he is greater than any king or president or world leader who has ever lived. He's more powerful um, than any world leader, uh, even those that are on the scene today, and certainly even more powerful as we will see then the Antichrist who will come and be a world leader um, in the days ahead. So this is the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now I want to look at this because all that to get down to, to this one sentence here. To Him being Jesus. Now look at this. Who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood. Alright? So, this Jesus, this King of Kings, this faithful witness, this one given the title the firstborn of the dead, He is faithful and true. And I want you to understand this. This King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, this ultimate, ultimate one, I want you to see this. He loves, present tense, you. He loves you. If you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, He loves you. Two things we're going to look at today. We'll look at the idea that Jesus, present tense, loves you and reminds you what those things are. But also, we're going to remind you that part of His love for you was demonstrated in His forgiving you of your sins and releasing you, loosing you, literally, Loosing you from uh, our from our sins, and he did so by his blood. So let's take a look at this first of all, and talk about the fact that this Jesus is to him who loves us. Now, if you want to mark your Bibles, you're going to want to mark this verse because there's something unique and fascinating about this verse. This verse here, this is the only place in the entire Bible. Old Testament or new that that refers to the love of God for you and for me in the present tense. It's not that in other places it's there. It's clearly there. It's in the past tense or the aorist tense. But the idea is is to be reminded not only did God love us in the past, but He currently, present tense, loves us today. In fact, you could say this with the little song. It's it's actually was um, written by a missionary to China uh, who wrote the little song. Jesus loves me. This I know. Well, how do you know? It's one thing just to sing songs that sound good, but but the fact is, is Jesus loves me, this I know. How do I know He loves me? For the Bible tells, tells me so. There are many places that the Bible tells us about the love of God, but only in Revelation 1, 4, 1, 5 is it expressed to us in the present tense. Now certainly we reminded that he loved us in the past. In fact, let's just take a look at a couple of verses that uh, that demonstrate the love of God. Go with me to John chapter three. John chapter three, 
verse 16. You, you know this. You could probably quote it without even uh, turning to it in your Bible. But I want you to know John 3.16. The Bible says, For God so not loves the world... But He loved, E.D., for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So it's the fact that He, the reason that He sent His Son is because He didn't just love the world, He so loved the world. That little so expresses the intensity with which God loved the world. And this love wasn't just words that He expressed. It had everything to do with the actions that He demonstrated. God so loved the world that He gave. He gave what? Not some cheap imitation knockoff gift. Not some at the last minute go and pick out uh, this little gift because you feel obligated in order to provide the gift. No, God so loved the world that He gave the most precious, grand, glorious thing that He possibly could. He gave His own Son. He gave His own Son. God demonstrated His love for us through the giving of His Son. And the Bible says there, God so loved the world that He gave. Well, turn to the right in your Bible and you go through the Gospels. And you want to find Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is another verse that expresses the same idea about the love of God. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul is reminding the Galatian believers of some truth. And, and he says this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Alright, but Christ lives in me. So he says he's identifying with Christ's death on the cross in order that Christ would identify with him through salvation. So Paul says when Jesus died on the cross, he says, I was crucified with Christ. He died in my place. He died in my stead. He died as a substitution for me. He, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We talked about this a couple weeks on Wednesday. We talked about abiding. The abiding uh, presence of God to abide in Christ means that Christ lives inside of us and He is, right? His character is being developed in us. So to abide in Christ is when the character of Christ is developed in us. And the life of Christ is expressed through us. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying this. He says, that's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Now notice this description of the Son of God. Notice what it says, who loved me. So in John 3.16, John says, For God so loved the world. Here's Paul saying, God loved me. God loved me. And gave Himself up for me. Notice again the idea of love. He loved 
past tense, loved me. Turn right in your Bible. Again, one other verse that, I, that we'll look at for the moment is Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, there's the example of the husband and the wife. And it's a picture of marriage and it's saying that, that the relationship between Christ and His church can be pictured through the husband and wife relationship. And that's the kind of the point that he's making here. But, but take a look at what he says. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as just as Christ. Now look at this. Also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for her. So in each of those, as we've seen, the love of God is expressed, but the love of God is expressed in the past tense, other than the fact of what He gave and what He did for us on our behalf. It'd be easy for someone to look at this and say, God so loved the world and God loved me that He gave, but that was 2,000 years ago. Does God even care that I exist today? And I want you to know that yes, He cares that you exist, and not only does He care that you exist, but if you are a child of God, a blood Washed child of God, He present tense loves you today. Revelation 1.5 is the only place in the Bible, the entire Bible. If you want to be reminded, does God still love me today? He so loved me in the past that He gave and did all of these wonderful things for me. But what about today and what about right now? To Him who loves Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says, To Him who loves us. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I want you to understand that God's love for you, it never changes. It is in the present tense. It is as much, He loves you as much today as He has ever loved you. God's love for you never changes. God's love for you never fluctuates. God never withholds His love from His children. He loves you with the greatest amount of love that He could possibly love. And He went to great extents to prove His love for you by sending Jesus Christ to die in your place on the cruel cross of Calvary in order that you and I can be brought into a loving relationship with God. God loves you so much that He didn't just forgive you of your sins and send you on your way. He brought you into a relationship with God. He brought you into the family of God and He continues to love you every single day of your life. Many of you have experienced those who once loved you who no longer love you. Maybe they have chosen to stop loving you. Maybe they have decided to stop loving you. Or maybe there's some scenario situation that they can no longer love you. But friend, listen to me. God, God cannot and will not do that. He loves you. And He's proven His love for you. He's demonstrated His love for you, right? Remember Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5 proves not only the words of God's love... But also the um, uh, the demonstration of that love, Romans chapter five verse eight. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. 
So God not only verbally said that He loved us, and present tense tells us that He loves us, but He demonstrated. He put that love into action. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ did the ultimate. He didn't just die. It is significant that God the Son died, but what is even more significant is that God the Son died for you and for me, for us. God's demonstration of His love is that while we were yet sinners, while we were unlovable, if you will, while we were undeserving, while we were in our sin and continuing in our sin and really enjoying it and thinking that it was great because sin is pleasurable for a season, living in open rebellion against God on our path, headed towards hell, wide open, oblivious to the fact that we even need to be saved, caring not that our Lord was crucified. God sent His Son, demonstrated His love. He died on the cross for us in order that we could be recipients of that love. We could be forgiven of our sins and brought into a love relationship with God. Now, it would be one thing to say, okay, Chad, I get it. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't want us to ever get over the fact that God loves us. I don't want us to ever sing about the love of God in the songs and just simply mouth the words and go on without feeling the impact of those things, without feeling the extent of the love with which He loved us. Every time you see those four-letter words, L-O-V-E, every time that you sing them, every time that you read them, every time that you talk about the love of God, every time that you share the love of God with others, I want us to be reminded that, listen, that this love is not just a, a, a happy, feely uh, uh, emotion that, that goes on. It was demonstrated through the greatest way possible. He loves you. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. But but how do I know? How do I know that He loves me? It's great that God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross, but, but how do I know that, that me? How do I know that I am the recipient? It's great to be included in the us, but how do I know that personally individually that Jesus loves me. Well, how do you know that anyone loves you? You don't just simply look at the words that they say, but you look at the things that they do to show their love. What did He do for you? That's the second part here that I want to focus on. Jesus to Him who loves us. Now now look at this. He loves us so much so that He... And I want you to see this. This is a great, fascinating way to to, to picture this. How did He demonstrate His love for us? He, past tense, released us. Released us 
from our sins. From our sins. That that word is interesting. Um, as a, a Greek student, the very first word that you learn in Greek uh, is the word luo. Luo. Um, in Greek, you have to learn all the case endings. Uh, we have those in English as well, right? Um, we have regular verbs, we have irregular verbs, and we change right prefixes and suffixes and things along those lines. Uh, first person singular, love. Second person singular, love. Right? I love, you love. Third person singular is he, she, or it. Do we say love? No, we say loves, and we add the S on the end, right? How do we do past tense? Past tense, we use the same root word, but we change the ending, right? Uh, change the ending. You do the same thing in Greek, and in some ways, to even a greater extent. So they took a very simple word uh, that means to loose, or to destroy the verb luo, and they use that to teach all beginning Greek students the case endings. Luo, luace, lue, I loose, you loose, he, she, or it looses, we loose, they loose, they uh, uh, loose. The word luo means both to loose and it means to destroy, and you have to look at the context to understand what it is, right? If I go down to, Eli and I go to, uh, go fishing somewhere and I asked Eli to luo the boat, it makes a difference whether he's going to loose the boat from the dock or if he's going to destroy the boat. So you have to look at the context to understand exactly what it means. But, but that word luo is the word that's here for released. It's what it, it's released. The, here's, here's the picture. Here's the picture. What does it mean to be released? Uh, who released us from our sins. What, is, what does that mean? And, and what is the picture here that John is trying to communicate to us uh, inspired by God? What does it mean that He released us or loosed us literally from our, from our sins? Well, I think a way to, to kind of get a, an idea of what this word means or the, the word picture that's behind it is to go to Hebrews chapter 12. To so look in Hebrews chapter 12... Uh, if you would, this is a great uh, passage of Scripture. Um, talks about the, the love of God, the fact that, that whom the Lord loves, He chastens or He disciplines. But it gives us a, kind of a, another idea of this picture and what why we need to be loose from our sins. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and these witnesses are all the witnesses that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, now look at this, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us or ensnares us. What, what is the picture there? The picture there is that what sin does in the life of a person is, is it gets them entangled. Have you ever seen one of those things where uh, they, they, they sort of get caught like a, a, a bug that gets caught in a spider web? 
At first he gets in there and he's stuck and he's just got like one wing stuck. But what happens, the more that he tries to get free, the more that he gets caught up in the web and the more he gets caught. And eventually he is unable to move at all. He has that web so wrapped and tangled around him that he is captured. He's unable to move. And at that point, the spider goes in and inflicts the venomous poison to kill the bug. I want you to understand that that is a great picture of sin. It's also the picture, if you will, of, of an animal being out in the wilderness and going through and getting caught in a trap. Being caught in a trap. Think, if you would, about, remember the bear traps, you know, with the claws that were, that you would see that it would capture and answer and it would, it would lock on their legs and they would be unable to, to get away uh, from that. And the fear and, and terror that, that those animals feel as the predator comes uh, towards them. The idea is this, is that sin has entangled us. Sin has ensnared us. And we have no ability whatsoever on our own when we are lost in, and dead in our trespass and sins. We have no ability whatsoever to become unentangled or unensnared in sin. And unless someone comes and rescues us, unless someone comes and redeems us, unless someone comes, listen to me church, and looses us from the tangles and the ensnarement of sin, we would Remain dead in our trespasses and sins. Remember what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. How devastation, how devastating is it? Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us of where we were when we were ensnared into sin. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's who we were. Listen, we weren't basically good people who did something wrong. We weren't basically people who got caught up. Listen, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and could not redeem ourselves. We could not rescue ourselves. We could not loose ourselves from the entanglement and being ensnared in sin. But God loves you and God in His love, demonstrate His love in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says that, that He loves us and aren't you glad He released us from our sins. I, I love these internet videos where there'll be like a little penguin who was trapped and he was about to lose his life and he was rescued. And there's one on the internet now that says this little penguin travels 5,000 miles every year to meet his rescuer on the beach. I don't ever know if that stuff's true, but it sure does sound good, doesn't it? But the idea is this, Jesus loves me, this I know, how do I know? For the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, how do I know? Because He has released us. He has released us from our sins. And remember, beloved, it's these, it's this sin that separates us from God. It's this sin that sends us to hell. It's this sin that, that removes us from the presence of God for all of 
eternity if we remain entangled in that sin. And the Bible says Jesus loves me and He has released us from this sin. It's important that you and I are reminded that this loosing of sin did not simply come with a word from the Master. Release them and let them free. It's important that that you and I are reminded today that, that this loosing didn't come just by way of command. Notice what it says. It gives us the, the, the through which. Notice it there. He loves me and release, He loves us and released us from our sins. How? By simply giving the word? No, because simply giving the word, God would not be just. He would be unjust. He released us from our sin by His own blood. I know we talk about that. And I know we could go through and we could point out all of the horrific details of the cross. And we have walked through those things in the past and we will do so again. But I want us to just pause for just a moment and think about the fact that He loves us. And in loving us, He released us from our sins by His blood. In other words, it wasn't just a word of freedom that He gave to us. It wasn't a simple command. It wasn't a simple obedience of one act. I, I want you to look. Let's be reminded. Philippians chapter 2. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2, if you would, in the Word of God. And I want us to be reminded of what was necessary in order for us to, uh, in order for Christ to free us and release us from our sins. Philippians chapter 2 is a great passage of Scripture to remind us that it wasn't just His death that He died, but it was His life that He lived. Jesus had to live the perfect sinless life in order to be qualified to die the death on the cross that we deserve to die in our place. Notice what it says, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. He says, "...have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus." Now notice what it says about Christ Jesus, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But He emptied Himself. In emptying Himself, notice what He did, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, look at this, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Listen, I want you to think about this. In order for Jesus to release us from our sins by His blood, He had to condescend. The condescension of God is not that God looks down His nose at us, but that God came down to us. He came to me when I could not go to where He was. He came to me. Listen, He was there with God in perfect communion and perfect fellowship with God, enjoying the Trinity of God from eternity past. And because of the plan of God and the purpose of God, Christ left the fellowship of the Trinity and came down to earth, all of the Godhead in a single cell in a virgin's womb in order to be born, in order to live this, to, to be born on this earth and live the life, the perfect sinless life that you and I cannot live. He lived the perfect sinless life. Not one time did He commit a sin of commission and not one time did He commit a sin of omission. Not doing something that He should have done. He completely and perfectly obeyed the law of God in every way for 33 years. And listen, if Jesus had sinned one time in thought, word, or deed in 33 years, He would have been disqualified to die on the cross and to release us from our sins. Listen, when He released us by His blood, it wasn't just the death that He died on the cross. It was the life that He lived for 33 years prior to going to the cross that qualified Him to die in our place, in our stead on the cross in order that we could be forgiven. He humbled Himself. He came to earth. He took on the limitations of frail, fragile, finicky people. Yet He did so sinlessly, flawlessly and perfectly and died on the cruel cross. Verse 8 says, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most unbelievable, horrific form of capital punishment that has ever Existed. Turn to the right in your Bibles. Look at First Peter. A couple more verses. First Peter chapter one. Just flip to the right in your Bible, and you'll go through um, Hebrews and James, and come to First Peter. First Peter chapter one tells us of these truths as well. First Peter chapter one, and these are verses that we've looked at before, and this is certainly nothing new, but certainly verses that I want to remind you of. First Peter chapter one, verse seventeen. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear, phobos, where we get the word phobia, during the time of your stay on earth. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Verse 19, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. How were you released from your sins? By His blood. The precious blood. The word precious means valuable. It means priceless. Listen, it is the greatest value that God could bestow upon something you and I would never, ever, ever consider blood in any way precious. And yet it was with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ from which we 
have been released from our sins. Go over to chapter 2. Chapter 2 um, gives us a, a, the same truth again. Chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter 2, 21. For you, who have, for, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you. Let's be clear that it wasn't just the command that set us free. It was the suffering of the Son of God that set us free. Beloved, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. What about this Christ who committed no sin? Listen, these people say that Jesus sinned like everybody else. Listen, Jesus could not be the Savior of the world if He was sinner. He had to be the sinless Son of God in order to be our salvation and our propitiation of sin, satisfying the wrath of God. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. Notice what it says. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Why would He do such a thing? Not because you're so deserving. Not because you are so worthy. Not because you were so lovable. He had to do it for you. But beloved, in, in our straying, in our sinfulness... Right? When we were so unlovable. When we were children of wrath. We were at enmity with God, Ephesians says. He demonstrated His love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 among other places. Jesus loves me. This I know. How do I know that Jesus loves me? Because He's released you from your sins. Jesus loves me. This I know. How did He release me from my sins? By humbling Himself. And dying on the cross. And bearing the wrath of God on our behalf that we deserved because of our sin in order that we could be brought into a loving relationship with Christ. In order that we can experience the present tense love of God. Beloved, it's not just that He's so loved, but today He loves you. Today, He loves you. All throughout the years of of our life and our family, we've had this 
cute little thing. Um, you know, families have these little quirky things about them anyway. And, and growing up, we didn't necessarily seriously talk about love a, a whole lot. I've probably truthfully heard my dad say I love you more as an adult than I did as a child in terms of a serious. This wasn't something that we did, something that was a part of our of our lives. And now it is, and I'm very, very thankful for that. But what we did have, and the way that they demonstrated their love, and the way that we'd have those is, is we would have this little saying, you know, like, who loves you, baby? Right? And, um, and then, you know, you do. Well, how do you know? How do you know? Uh, because you say so, or because you did so. So, that'd be the thing. Who loves you, baby? Who loves you? Who loves you? Well, if you were to ask that question today, who loves you? Here's what I want you to know. You may not think that there's many people in the face of this earth that love you and appreciate you for who you are and what you do. But I want you to know this. If you ask God who loves you, who loves you, God would ask you who loves you, He would say, I do. And He would say, God, how do I know that you do? He would say, look at the cross of Calvary of my son who stretched out his arms on a wooden cross. How much does Jesus love you? He loves you this much. And He stretched out His arms on the cross and died to demonstrate His love for you. And beloved, there's no higher, greater amount of love with which He could possibly love you with. And His love for you never changes. It never fluctuates. It's never diminished. It never goes away. He, present tense, loves you. So what do we do? The way of application, the application is not loving back because you can never love Him in the same measure with which He loved you. The answer is not to legalistically engage in whatever spiritual discipline or activity that you feel compelled to do. Okay, 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 He loves me and I'm dead. No, no, no. The application today is to just know the love of God because to know the love of God will lead you to apply in any way that you possibly can. You see, when you love someone, when you've been loved by someone, will you not do anything at all for them that they ask you to do? After all, they love you so much. How could you not? They've demonstrated love for you. How could you not? What is the application today? The application of the message today is simply this. Know that Jesus loves you and know the extent to which He went to love you. And therefore, feeling that love and receiving that love. Listen, just be loved. Just be loved. Just be loved. And in being loved, you will have no issues applying the truth of this message. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. I think it would be fitting to end today by singing that verse and uh, being reminded of the love of God. You know me, I love theologically rich, biblically solid, sound songs. The words of the songs are much more important than whether they're new or old or anything else about it. But I'll promise you this, you will not find a more um, satisfying, theologically rich, biblically centric song than Jesus Loves Me, 
This I know. In fact, Karl Barth, the great theologian, after he'd lived his life and written books and theology and all of these things, was asked, what is the greatest truth, Karl Barth? What is the greatest truth that you have learned in your study of God? And he said, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me. So let's just stand and sing that little chorus together and I'll close this out in prayer. Uh, today. Let's sing it together. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, among many other places. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us of the truth that you love us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to release us from our sin. Father, we pray that we would just sense your love, that we would know your love, that we would walk in your love, that we would enjoy your love. And Lord, we look forward to living eternally in your presence, being loved by you. And Father, if there's one here who does not know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, Father, they don't know anything of the love of God with which we have been talking about today. Father, I pray that, that you would work in their heart and life, that you would show them that you love them and you want to save them and release them from their sins and bring them into eternal life and love them eternally as well. Father, I pray that they would reach out and they would take this pastor by the hand or they would uh, communicate in some way their need for a Savior, that we could clearly walk them through how to be saved and enjoy the love of God forever. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. God's people said, Amen. Amen. I hope you have.